Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajasad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, thank you for trying something new. I'll reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and I'm going to ask Ben to talk about some of the recent publications he's written for. Go for it, Ben. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Haggerty, and at Driving Line. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca as well as Nouveau Magazine. Ben, this week we are talking about some very different vehicles than usual. Well, well, <laughs> well maybe in my in my case, <laughs> in my case, it's a bit a bit of a, a re not a, a retread but a repeat of uh, an episode we had a couple of weeks ago. So, of course, you're talking about the BMW X7. No, I'm talking about the Ford Explorer ST. Oh, yes, of course. So you're not driving the Ford Explorer ST, but you're driving its distant cousin It's distant. Well, here's the thing. How distant is it really, Sammy? That's really kind of what I wanted to find out with a week behind the wheel of the Lincoln Aviator, which is all new for 2020. I, I mean, all new. There was an Aviator back in, I want to say, the early 2000s that was pretty terrible. Um, it was a barely rebadged version of the Explorer. It didn't really bring anything new to the table. And it died a fairly quick death. So, like, were your you came into this aviator nameplate thinking, yeah, this is more of the same. Well, if Lincoln was going to go back to their their heritage, they would just do the same thing they did back then, right? Well, in this this time, <laughs> what they've decided to do is kind of what they did with the Navigator, and that's take a Ford platform and then make a whole bunch of changes so that it feels, in a lot of important ways, feels quite different from its less expensive cousin. Although I use less expensive with an asterisk because you can pick up a base version, the Aviator, Aviator excuse me, for around, oof, I want to say $59,000. Let me check. Yeah, 58000 is uh, the base reserve model. Mm-hmm. And that's which, not far off an Explorer, uh, a well-equipped Explorer, right? No, I mean, I, I think that the Explorer I had, I want to say was 60... Uh, no, actually, it was around 55 for the, for right. the XT. Um, I'm sorry, ST. But I want to point out the ST is not the luxury model, right? So you can get more. If, I think it's the Platinum is probably around the $60,000 mark. Mm-hmm. So it seems like you can get all sorts of cars at that fifty thousand, fifty yeah. to sixty thousand. Yeah. So the base point. aviator, sorry, the base base aviator is fifty one, and the version I drove, the reserve, is the next trim up, and that starts at fifty eight. And of mm. course, I had a bunch of options. So if you, if you take options into account, the vehicle I drove was seventy five thousand dollars. Okay, that's important because seventy thousand dollars is you're you're really in luxury car territory, um, and there's certain expectations you have to meet. And did this car manage to meet any of those expectations? In in a lot of ways, it did. Um, starting what? out, really. Starting out with the styling of the Lincoln, it looks fairly different from the Explorer from the front and from the mm-hmm. rear. It it the sides. I mean, it, there's unavoidable similarities in door panels and and just the general proportions of the silhouette of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. But um, it. It gave me – I didn't really feel like I was just driving – walking up to a nicer Explorer. It, it's a smoother look. It has a lot of lighting differences, which I think is a great way that manufacturers use to differentiate differentiate products these days. Mm-hmm. And it, it definitely felt like a luxury vehicle on approach. Inside, it's a mixed bag. Uh, okay. There's a lot to like. The materials – it's funny that <laughs> – it, this vehicle had roast leather seats. That's what they're called. It's kind of like how a, do you describe roast? Is I that say it's like, like a, a like, like a beef, t- like a 
<laughs> yeah, it's beef? like a, it's like a nice <laughs> side of beef. Finally, uh, finally um, herbed. We wouldn't say herb. We say spiced. I guess. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's like a tan color. And the reason I think I, I'm I'm of a mixed mind about the interiors because I just spent so much time in the Explorer, so the layout was very similar in terms of okay. seats. Yeah, front to rear, it's it's the same kind of deal, but the details are completely different. The dashboard is completely different. The mm. switch gear feels quite different. Instead of yeah. using um, like a directional pad, like you would find on the steering wheel of a Ford, it has this kind of like a knob, kind of like the the joystick on a PlayStation that you use to make choices. I'm not a huge fan of it, but it is different. You also get a a, a cooler in a in a second row. Um, console that I didn't have in the Explorer. The Explorer Which is just important. Had, yeah. It's important to have it in the second row so that you can't use it. Exactly. It's not for you. If you're the driver, it's not for you. <laughs> Unless you're really flexible. But, but what I like this is the the um, Explorer kind of felt empty when you would look back between the seats. There was like this big chasm because that's how big the vehicle is. But with the Lincoln, that was filled in and I appreciated that. I know it's a small thing. But just the materials inside were much nicer. The switch gear felt nicer. Uh, the infotainment system, though, felt a little slower than the Ford. It was yeah. nice. It, it, here's what's weird. It was almost like Lincoln decided that slow meant luxury. Like, it was like... It was an Patience un- is, a, is a luxury. Yes, yeah. it was an unhurried experience. Because if you're wealthy, you have time. You're right? right? Like, you, you don't have to rush. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did enjoy the fact that the screen was a more traditional horizontal layout right. than, the, than the kind of up and down look of the the ST. Mm-hmm. And uh, everything as, apart from that, though, once you get past the aesthetics of the inside and the outside, they're almost wholly different vehicles. Right. I have driven this car really briefly, uh, and I compared it to the XT6, and I found it to be a better vehicle than the XT6, which I felt was a little like uh, lacking in certain luxury qualities and i thought that the aviator meant that the aviator managed those really well particularly in the ways that you described it it has a lot of really good details for whatever reason the switch gear the way that the switch gear looks so different than what it looks like in the in the explorer or any other ford product which is a very big deal because i think going back a long time a lot of people just assumed that a, a lincoln was just a more expensive ford uh, and they would you would see a lot of similarities in the panels, like the the the, the center console, the the switch gear, um, and, and uh, other areas of the vehicle, which felt far too similar and far too mainstream to charge uh, extra for. And 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 it was just as useful as the Explorer. I hauled a lot of uh, boxes. I was moving some stuff into a storage locker, and a surprisingly huge amount of gear, including seats for my Datsun and a drive mm-hmm. shaft and all sorts of junk, like plus boxes all fit in the back of the vehicle. It was not a hassle at all. So that 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 was nice because it I mentioned this because past Lincoln interpretations of Ford platforms have tended mm-hmm. towards being less practical. I I know you remember the MK I want to say T which yeah. was the version of the Ford Flex and they took the Flex's very super practical and useful rectangular shape and just sloped it down aggressively at the back and it killed so much of the utility of that cargo area. Right. But, and that's even more important the way you describe it. You know, you said when you look back in the Lincoln, it felt like filled out. Um, and that didn't come at, a, at the, the cost of practicality. Exactly. Uh, so mechanically. Wait, wait. Like, can we just talk one more time about, a little bit more about the um, exterior appearance? Do you find the look attractive? 
I think it looks good. The vehicle that I had featured optional air suspension as part of the dynamic handling package, I think it's called. Okay. And every time you walked away from it, it just dropped the car. It just yeah. slammed it right to the pavement. In it fact, gets like, it gets like kind of depressed that you're leaving. Yeah, it's it, and it looks very sporty when it's like that. Uh, you have to be aware of it, though, because you have to let the car rise before you drive away near a curb because you don't want to make that mistake. Mm-hmm. It also comes with some pretty... Um, uh, what's the best way to describe the wheel design? It's pretty uh, outrageous wheel design that I've seen. Uh, lots of spokes. Could probably be a pain in the butt to clean. I but don't know. Uh, I, mean, if, I don't clean my own rims, so it's not an issue for me. I have, I have a rim person for that. Oh my gosh. Uh, okay, good. Uh, you were talking about the mechanics, though. Let's uh, let's continue where you where you were talking about that. So like the Ford Explorer ST, this has the same turbocharged 3-liter V6, and that mm-hmm. comes with uh, 400 horsepower, 415 pound-feet of torque, and it has the ubiquitous 10-speed automatic transmission. Okay, and anything you want to report about that? I mean, it's a pretty good powertrain, if I remember correctly. Um, it and is? The transmission, and the transmission really didn't get in the way in my, in my experience. Did no, it so there's differences in how – I think it's it, – the power is somewhat smoother in the Lincoln. I, I also I, – I can't remember offhand exactly the numbers from the Ford. It might be a little higher. It is, yeah. Uh, but it, there's a difference in speed. I mean the Ford Explorer ST does 0 to 60 in 5.2 seconds and the Lincoln does it in 6 that's that's you know almost a full second difference. But mm. that being said, the Lincoln, the Aviator, never felt slow. It felt exactly as powerful as it needed to be, even when it was loaded up with all that gear. I, and when I went to the storage locker, I it was a trip of about 75, 80 miles. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of driving there, and it, it handled it admirably. I don't think it needs more motor. I know there's a crazy powerful hybrid version of the vehicle that I haven't driven with 600 pound feet of torque, man. Yeah, so that's pretty nutty. So I can only imagine how much more quick and how much more competent that vehicle feels i don't think you need it mm-hmm. um this this one was exceptional i enjoyed the power delivery i enjoyed how quiet it was on the road uh, i had a better experience with the self-driving features than i did on the ford in the sense that i didn't have weird accelerations towards vehicles and when i was in stop and go traffic it allowed people to merge in and out of my lane in front of me without causing a problem, which is sometimes an issue for um, self-driving stuff. So that's the using the automated uh, adaptive cruise control plus the this kind of a limited self-steer feature that the Lincoln has. Right. One, th- one thing that's annoying about the self-steering, though, is that it didn't always detect that my hand was on the wheel. So if I have oh, hand, it's one of those really. It needs reassurance. Yeah, like, it would need reassurance. Even though my hand was like on top of the wheel, I think maybe I don't have a pulse like a normal human being, and it just can't yeah. detect that I'm not a robot. Right. But uh, overall, the driving experience was very positive. I mean, it's not a sporty vehicle. I, it had all these drive modes. We've talked in the past about deep conditions as being one of yeah. the drive modes, and how Excite is their version of the drive mode for, I, I think, performance and stuff. So. Lincoln's having some fun with that, but I honestly just left it in normal mode all the time. I did not need... I tried Excite mode a bit, but it's just not necessary. Right. Um, I want to go back and say uh, I was mistaken. The Ford Explorer ST also has 400 horsepower and 415 pound. Okay, so it is the same. So it is the same. But I think Um, delivery delivery is different. I think the gearing might also be different. My vehicle was all-wheel drive. You can get a rear-wheel drive version if you want. But uh, like the ST, ST is all-wheel drive only. Cool. Um... Would you recommend this vehicle? I mean, that's one of the most interesting things about um, a Lincoln product is that every time I think about a good Lincoln 
particularly the the aviator and the and the navigator, I can also pinpoint probably a German or Japanese vehicle that could compete um, and and deliver just as good, if not a m- better luxury experience. But I'm not sure about the Lincoln and the and the Navigator, which are very strong, very well, good products. They're very different from most of the current Japanese luxury options on the market because the vehicle is based on a rear-wheel drive platform. So mm-hmm. I can't think of a three-row crossover from a Japanese luxury company that's roughly the same size that is also based on a rear-wheel drive platform. So the, the, the dynamics are different. And what's interesting, too, is, I mean, Ford managed to put six extra inches of wheelbase on the Explorer for this generation, for the redesign, but the vehicle itself is only one inch longer. So you end up with, like, a much stabler experience, much stabler, much more stable experience in pretty much every type of driving condition without creating a giant behemoth of a vehicle. I mean, these are these are pretty large, but they're not Navigator large. They're not Expedition large. It's not like a, a QX80. You're not going to have that same kind of feeling. So if you're comparing it to an Acura, an like MDX, MDX, I think yeah. this is a much better experience than the MDX. Well, uh, the MDX is feeling a little bit dated. And the only good MDX, I think, is the hybrid. It, yeah, Sorry, the Sport Hybrid. If that's, hi- if the, that's, a, if that's no, a hot take. The Sport no, Hybrid is, is really great. And the Sport Hybrid, I think, is probably marginally more fun to drive than the Lincoln. But if you just. But you're talking about a big SUV in terms of fun to drive aspects of yeah. it. It's not, so that- you don't re- it's not really a priority. I also think that the, the Lincoln has a nicer interior at this point. Okay, cool. And I don't, think, um, I, I don't think Lexus has anything that competes with this vehicle. I think they're kind of out of that segment. And yeah. uh, if if you were talking about Genesis, I haven't driven the GX80. I think that's what it's called. The the Lexus um, equivalent to this is a really bad fit. It's I think the RXL, which is an is, awful car. Is it the RXL or is it the GX460? Well, the GX I don't think has a third row. Okay, so that, then it's then it's off the table. And uh, yeah, the RXL is the worst form of RX you've ever like you can ever get. Yeah, so, so it's it's kind of like you know Ford. I think as you said is is up against XT6 in this segment, maybe exclusively. Sorry, Lincoln is up against XT6. There's not really a lot else out there. Maybe something like and and again, this is a huge price differential. Uh, I was going to say the Mazda CX7, but or sorry CX9, but the price yeah. differential is too different. Even if the interiors are similarly nice. And I think even exteriors are both very striking vehicles. Um, the difference, the big major difference, is powertrain in this regard. Yes, uh, where the I think the the Mazda makes way less than the than the Lincoln. And uh, also, if you want to stretch it, I think perhaps uh, a Hyundai. Um why can't I think Palisade. of it? Yeah, Palisade. Or the Telluride. Yeah, those are pretty solid. Not cars. a Telluride. I don't think the Telluride matches it inside. I think the Palisade comes closer. But again, yeah, when you get a fully loaded Palisade, it does feel kind of special. But again, I think there's what a twenty thousand dollar price difference, and in that price difference, you're going to see a lot of refinement differences in the drivetrain and some of the materials inside the vehicle. Okay, um, do you think that the upcoming PHEV will be a big uh, step up in terms of what you experienced here? I, I think it's kind of completely unnecessary. Uh, it'll. Okay. I don't. Again, if we're tr- struggling to find a competitor for the regular <laughs> aviator, what what is this vehicle going up against? Six hundred and fifty pound feet of torque? That's what you said. I think so. So or it's like the, it's like a it's like Aviator ZL one, right? Like it's 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 the dominant three row crossover of its day. I, it'll get better fuel mileage. I mean, this one gets like seventeen miles per gallon combined. That's really not very good. Oh, that's not good at all. No. 
Oh, hold so, on. I, I think it actually might have more. Give me a moment here. So it has 494 horsepower, which is a lot. It's, almost, it's 94 horsepower than, than what you got. 630 pound-feet of torque? Yeah. <laughs> and I think 10, I think 10 miles per, get, per gallon better. Um, that's or, great. Like, well. 21 miles per, per charge. Okay. Um, of pure EV range. Cool. Um, that's going to be interesting. I think the most important thing we'll have to look out for is the way that it delivers the 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 transition between electric and um, gas power. I think that's probably one of the most important things when it comes to a PHEV and a luxury car at that. Um, I guess maybe we forgot about the XC90, which would be pretty much the perfect. Oh, that is a really vehicle. good point. That is because a really it's good offered point. as both a plug-in and a gas model, right? Yeah, I think that this is a strong competitor to the XC90. The XC90 is pretty good. The biggest complaint with the XC90 is maybe the four-cylinder and the infotainment system. So in my opinion, if you're getting any version of the XC90 that isn't the T8, it will feel somewhat underpowered. Okay. So I think that the Lincoln pulls ahead of the XC90 in terms of power plant uh, in its base model. It's definitely better. Interior-wise, it's more... I I would lean a little bit towards the Volvo. Uh, In terms of how they drive, the Lincoln is smoother. But okay. again, this is a question of degree. Is it's not really a, a stark difference, right? Okay, cool. That's um, that's a good conversation to be honest. I really enjoyed that because I think uh, it's more fun to talk about a product like the Aviator, which is where Lincoln is re- like you can see Lincoln's efforts coming through. Um, and sometimes when you saw, I think you've seen what's the name of their other new new really renamed barely refreshed cars the corsair and the yeah i haven't driven the corsair yet i drove it when it was in the mk nautilus i want to say mkc or yeah mkx and the nautilus is the, or i can't remember the names of these ones. it's, it's hard the small one is the mkc right the nautilus yeah, yeah okay it's 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 great that they're using names again. Eventually, we'll get used to figuring out what they mean. <laughs> we sound like such a moron. Uh, which one is the? Uh... <laughs> but yeah, I when if you have driven those two cars, uh, and I've driven the Nautilus, there's nothing special about it. Um, so the Aviator, you can tell Lincoln paid attention to those criticisms, um, and is delivering something that's very um, strong in the segment. And maybe that has to do with the the Explorer being. A well, much better product, or I think maybe it, I think it has to do with the Explorer being a brand new product. So I think that that okay. really helped. I, I think that the Nautilus and the Corsair were kind of redos of an existing vehicle. They did an older platform, maybe four or five years old. Right, but the I mean the Navigator's success. Um, I mean the Expedition was also refre- like pretty brand new with the way they did it. But the, I feel like the Expedition doesn't get enough credit for how close it is to the navigator and the navigator is quite good no i think the navigator is quite different than the expedition i i I don't really feel a lot of closeness between those two vehicles and driving experience interesting that's something we should revisit again um because just like you mentioned like the 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 details in the navigator are so much better than whatever's going on in the expedition even though the underpinnings are pretty much the same yeah, but, but I think that I believe the expedition gets a oh sorry the the navigator gets a huge power boost. I think it's I think the navigator has what you find in the F one fifty 
for the the, the crazy top tier. I want to say right. it's called platinum. It might not be, but it's like 450 pound feet of torque and maybe even 450 horsepower. So you don't, I don't think that's accessible in the expedition. And it does make a difference when the vehicle is that heavy. And another another difference I found between those two models was the isolation of the Navigator is is yeah. is top notch. Uh, and and this is from the thing that makes it most startling is that in the previous generation the Navigator wasn't even close to being competitive. There there was nothing right. positive about that vehicle that would justify its price point. And they they changed that overnight. It's crazy. I love that. Uh, and it's like I said, it's really great when an automaker puts its 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 best effort forward. Um, and it's good to see that it's not in just one car. The Aviator and the Navigator both uh, getting that kind of um, halo treatment, I guess. Exactly. Uh, I'm going to talk about something completely different. Uh, the cars I'm driving this week are basically the the complete opposite of the spectrum. They are affordable, almost the most affordable vehicles that these uh, two um, brands offer. So... I'm going to first talk about the Nissan Kicks, and we've talked about this before. Uh, it's a car that I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, because it's really cheap and cheerful. It reminds me of your favorite parts of the Micro, which is it's uh, really accessible. It's quite raw. It doesn't get in the way of itself, um, and it's fairly fun and responsive. You know what's funny is the other day I was in a, in, a, in a ride, and I was being driven somewhere, and I saw a Micro in a parking lot, and it caught my eye, and I turned my head, and I watched it as I drove by, and I was like, that's a fun car. And that's, that surprised me. <laughs> right. I mean, for, so our American colleagues or our American listeners won't, uh, won't get it because they don't get the Micro, but they do get the kicks. And if they've driven a kicks, they'll know that despite its low power – you do get, which is 122 horsepower, and it's a low price point, which is under $20,000, you still end up getting a car that's pretty responsive and enjoyable to drive. And is like pared down just the driving experience um, and practicality of a, cross, of a, of a crossover or a, or a hatchback. But uh, I've, I've come to the realization, apparently, that the Nissan Kicks is not the only vehicle that boasts this sort of affordable, cheap and cheerful um, getup. And Hyundai has entered this segment with another crossover it's called the venue and it slots below the kona believe it or not um and this is a very interesting vehicle because it um it it takes care of the customer in all of the ways that the um kicks doesn't so what does that mean when you get into a kicks you will um, you may enjoy the driving experience more because it's it's really like fun, engaging. It's really responsive. But when you sit in it, you'll realize that it's lacking the um, the care and refinement that I think a modern uh, car buyer is looking for. But so I think that's, that's part of the charm, though, right? The idea is that a the little kicks, bit. The kicks is light and fun and cheap, and you don't get anything that you don't need. And I think that that's maybe the most compelling aspect of it, and it kind of feeds into the way it drives too. Maybe, um, but when you see like the cheap door panels and the uncomfortable seats and um, the really like uh, like the buttons are really like they look kind of ghetto. I can't believe you're trash talking the kicks. I mean, I know the kicks has been your number one go to crossover for perhaps the last two years. <laughs> That's not true. I'm just saying it that feels I like true the- though, and isn't that what's important? Yes. I, what I'm what I like about the Kicks is that it's an honest product. I think it's a it's a very affordable, easy to get into car. It is nothing that it's it is it doesn't pretend to be something it's not. The venue is a little bit more on that pretending scale, but it it it, it solves that problem pretty well. 
it has much more style. It has really cool um, accents. The one I had was like this dark gray, and it had a lot of neon green accents um, on the exterior and interior of the vehicle. So there was like neon green piping on the seats. There were some really cool uh, accents on the seats as well and all of the buttons and switch gear. So it doesn't feel like when you're looking at it and sitting in it, it doesn't feel or look like a cheap car, even though it is. Well, what, um, is the, what is the pricing difference between a Kicks and a Venue? At the starting scale, these two cars are very, very, very close. Uh, the Kicks is actually more expensive at nineteen thousand uh, dollars, and the Venue starts at seventeen three fifty. So that's the basic price. The mid tier Venue is the SEL. It's nineteen thousand two hundred fifty dollars, and the mid tier Kicks is twenty thousand twenty thousand dollars. And then the top, the top versions of both of them are uh, twenty one thousand in the kicks and twenty two thousand in the venue. So am so, I right? Am I right to think that the Hyundai is also better equipped at each of those levels? Um, they're they're pretty similarly equipped. I oh, that's think, surprising. Yeah, it is surprising. I I found um, that I, I had the mid tier versions of both uh, of both of these cars, so I had still features like um, automatic headlights, uh, which sounds crazy to say is like a it's like a, a convenience feature. Like yeah, a, I know what you mean. Something <laughs> that you would pay extra for. Ooh, um, but it had automatic headlights. It had heated seats. Uh, the venue had a heated steering wheel, which I was surprised about. Um, both of them have you know. Display touch screens um, is the best way to describe them. They both have Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. They have um, tons of USB ports. Um, what else am I looking for? Blind spot monitoring in both of them, and rear view cameras. The Kicks has an extended like camera get up uh, so that you can see everything around it, while the Venue doesn't have that feature. One thing I when you say steering wheel, it reminded me of one of the features I didn't like about the Lincoln, and that's that it has the the press to talk button for voice recognition is on the inside of the steering oh, right. wheel, yeah. kind of where your thumb is at the ten o'clock position when you're holding the wheel. And there were a bunch of times where I accidentally activated that feature just because right. I was gripping the wheel. It does not need to be there. There's zero point zero percent need for any kind of buttons on the inside of a steering wheel. Right. Uh, I agree with you. It's so weird that that, that is there. Um, the they're both very well equipped. They're both uh, the back to these these two cars. They're both very well equipped. Um, I feel like the venue is a tiny bit more spacious. It feels a bit more upright. It's a little bit more comfortable. I really did like the seats in it, um, and the layout of the cabin is a little bit better. And the biggest difference I found was with the driving dynamics of the two. The Kicks is, is far more engaging, more fun to drive. Um, the the chassis and steering um, like talks back to you. You feel you feel things through the 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 steering wheel and through the chassis. And the powertrain just responds much more immediately than the the venues does so that's a really big thing so if maybe if you're more in tune with with wanting to a more engaging drive the kicks will be the better fit for you but if you want something that's a little bit more stylish something that says um a little bit more than uh, i'm in a cheap car then the venue will be your best but um, how many people at that price point want something fun like do you think that that is important i mean for us it's important but how many people are realistically if they were side by side in these vehicles are going to pick the more expensive less coddling less uh, i guess prestigious version of these vehicles let's 
like exterior character, I think is the best way to describe it. Um, and, and I think fewer people would. I agree with you. I think, and it's weird to suggest the enthusiast in this segment. I mean, I think an enthusiast would probably pick a, a used sports car or something more engaging, like a hot hatch, um, than um, a a cheap crossover like this. So I I'm gonna agree with you and say that for the vast majority of buyers in this segment who want something cheaper than twenty thousand dollars, the venue is gonna be the better fit. And is that the one you would pick? Uh, no. I think, no? So I the, think... the, the, the experience of driving the kicks overcomes the more comfortable aspects of the venue? I think so, yeah. It particularly comes into the powertrain aspect. Uh, the venue you have to be patient with when it comes to uh, throttle and acceleration. Uh, you have to be very patient. While the kicks, the way the CVT is... Um, is tuned it really like jumps off the line and it reminds me of something that we used to complain about in, in old subarus that felt almost too jumpy too responsive like the cars it, like you tip in too quickly and you're like oh shoot i i went too far um the the kicks kind of has that attitude like it's always ready to get going okay uh, and the venue does it just feels a little bit more uh, muted and what's the fuel add- mileage difference did, did you mention it because i don't remember I didn't mention the fuel mileage. They're very similar. Just give me a quick second because I because, had it here. Because if one's tuned more aggressively, I mean, it's not often mentioned, but a lot of the time, the reason why drivetrains feel like they're lagging a little bit is because car companies are trying to compensate for people who mash the gas all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a result, I mean, for them, it's important to have a specific fuel mileage rating from the EPA and they need to achieve that. So they're going to get that no matter how they have to get that. And that often means means dialing back throttle response. And I think that's also part of why so many sports cars have that sport mode button that we despise so much because then they're able to dial back the output of an engine or at least its responsiveness to the point where they get their fuel mileage but can still confidently advertise it as being fun to drive in certain situations. So the fuel economy of the, first of all you're 100% right. I don't mean to to jump jump past what you're saying. Uh those tuning aspects of the CVT or the throttle response is 100% tied to those um, drive modes. Both of these cars have sport modes as well. Um, the the kicks is rated for 33 miles per gallon, while the um, venue is rated for 32. Uh, in testing the two dri- the two vehicles, I did not find a, a huge difference between the two vehicles in terms of their fuel economy. I should also add that the base venue can be had with a manual transmission, though I'm unsure of where. I haven't tested it. I don't know what it's like. Um, and I, I don't know what to say about it. Both these cars, around 120 horsepower and 113 or 14 pound-feet of torque. So they sound they, they should be very similar in terms of that driving characteristic. But it just isn't the case here. So do you have anything, uh, any kind of final words you want to mention about these vehicles? Um, yes, absolutely. I had the venue um, and I, my, first, um, my first few kilometers or miles driving it, I kept hearing a, a bit of a rattle happening in the in the rear end of the vehicle, and uh, I couldn't figure out what it was until I opened the trunk and realized that the interior panel of the trunk was uh, not snapped in. Like Ooh. I don't know how it was like not click clipped in. That's and not a good look. Every time I tried to put it in, it would pop back out whenever I closed the trunk. So I had to close the trunk or the the tailgate much more gently so that it wouldn't pop back out again. Uh, and that's really uh, I don't know if that's a consistent issue, like a like a fit and finish issue that uh, buyers should be aware of or if it's a one off or if this has been a, a vehicle that's been um, abused over its course as a press vehicle. But I've never had that happen in, in other cars 
so it, it looked uncomfortable. Like it just didn't want to sit in its clip, which is unfortunate. It is very rare that that kind of panel looseness would occur in a brand new car. Right. This car had less than uh, 6,000 miles on it. And um, I, I was I was stunned that that was like it was given to me that way. So um, I'm obviously reporting that back to the, the automaker, making sure that that's uh, either a, pr- a pre-production thing or something that they were aware of um, when they handed it over to me. Any, anything else that stands out in your mind that you feel people should know about? Yeah, the seats and the kicks are really upright, really broad. They feel uh, uncomfortable. I That was one of the biggest things about it um, that needs the most adjustment. And it also has a really not fun, like one of those uh, seat-mounted armrests that you have to get used to as well. And they're, the, the angles on those are really poor. So uh, despite me raving about the kicks, I know that some people will probably drive and be like, how did you find this comfortable in any way? Um, and there are opportunities there. Are, I agree with them. There's some cha- some, some ways that it's not that comfortable. All right, that's it. So Ben, you, I know you're asking me all this cause you have something else you want to talk about. I just got to hurry you along because we're running out of time. There are only so many megabytes on my hard drive and right. we are using them up at a fantastic pace. No, what I, about the, I, what about the cloud, Ben? I thought you, you, oh, right. You're afraid of the cloud, right? I'm not afraid of the cloud, Sammy. I just don't trust the cloud. And those are two very different things. Of course. Not of all course. of us okay. have an intimate relationship with a robot named Subaru that lives <laughs> in our car named Forrester. Did I tell you that? Slowly the... compiling a list of reasons for us to be liquidated when the robot uprising occurs. Did I tell you that in the legacy, I broke up with the, uh, with the robot after it mistook, mistook me for another user in the in the content and it's what are you trying of, to say it recognized me as someone else which was bizarre how how did it recognize you i don't, <laughs> I don't know it said it said welcome and it gave another profile that wasn't my profile so i was confused. is it supposed to recognize your face yeah when you sign in you register the you register sign, your sign in what, what, you sorry i'm when you driving get a car, car back up to the part where i sign in <laughs> Right. When you get into a, uh, a a new Subaru, like the Legacy, the Outback, or the Forester, which has the driver-focused system, um, one of the features of driver-focus is that you can register your face and associate it to your wheel and mirror uh, – so sorry, your seat and mirror settings instead of having to use the, the, the memory buttons. Oh, what a hassle it is to use the memory buttons. Why not just give my blood type to a crazy robot I've never so- seen <laughs> – that purportedly lives in my car and is gathering all this information about. Do you have to do a retina scan? No. Are you but, sure? Yes. But do you uh, ever wake up advantage... somewhere you didn't go to sleep, Sammy? And there's no, a robot not... telling you everything's going to be fine. It only happened a few times, Ben. I told you that in confidence. I didn't expect you to bring it up on the podcast. Oh, I didn't. You might have told it to me in confidence, but it's out there on the cloud, and everyone knows. Right. About it. Sorry, I want to get back to this, Ben. There are only two memory settings on most of those uh those buttons on the side of the the door there this allows up to five memories um but like i said it mistook me for another user and i don't have five friends sammy so i don't know who's driving my car okay to that degree (laughs) what do you we're wasting are we wasting memory on your hard drive because the robots are compelling you to spread their gospel that's that's why all right. What is it you want to talk about? So I had the one, one last thing that I wanted to talk about in the podcast, if the robots will allow it, is uh, I had a book that I wanted to, to mention. It's another car book, obviously, but this one's a little bit different. It's by um, Mo- Motor Books, again, and it's called Billy F. Gibbons, Rock and Roll Gearhead. For those of you who maybe aren't familiar, Billy F. Gibbons, or Billy Gibbons, as he's, I guess, more commonly known, is a founding member of ZZ, ZZ Top. 
which yeah. is a pretty good rock and roll band that's been together for 50 years now with the same a lot, the same lineup. Uh, and the reason Gibbons wrote a book about cars and the reason people would care about that is because ZZ Top has always made cars a big part of their image as a band. But more to the point, they were a big hot rod band back in the late 70s, early 80s. And on the cover of albums like Afterburner and a few others, they, they had specific cars, um, uh, thir- I think 30 Fords, 32 Fords, classic hot rods. And they, they went beyond that and did some customization of their own for their music videos, uh, made some kind of cool limos that you don't normally see in, in that period of time. But it was all because they, they the band had been in love with cars forever and Gibbons was a driving force behind that. So this book is neat in the sense that it's a coffee table book. But it has way more information than you would normally get from this type of book. And it's divided into three sections. The first third is Billy talking about the band. But not just the band. Like his own musical journey. Like bands he was in before ZZ Top. Uh, what it was like to hang out with Jimi Hendrix and guys like that. Um, and, and, and other performers. Uh, what it was like to tour when he was first starting out. And how they deci- made decisions on certain albums. It's It's a fairly in-depth look at the music career he's had. And then cool. the second section is about cars. Okay. And it's, it's mostly devoted to cars that people will recognize from ZZ Top's albums and videos. But he also goes into cars that he owns, including like a, a customized E30 that is totally like, – everything is like hot rod and American metal. And then it gets to this E30 and he's like, what? It's a really cool car. I love it. And, and you're <laughs> like, oh, this guy really is into cars. I mean he's he's not just faking it for, for the video. The, okay. Th- the third section of the book is about guitars. And it's – crazy how many guitars he has and how many he's decided to highlight but what's neat is it's not just pictures of, of various guitars it's um a history of the guitars why he bought them what he likes about them and where you might have recognized them if you're a ZZ Top fan so it's it's three distinct sections all of them are fairly in-depth they all kind of feel like they really did have his input like it doesn't feel completely ghostwritten and I was more it's written by Gibbons with Tom Vickers and David Perry and it's uh, it's an enjoyable read. I mean, there's not a lot of great biographies out there for some of these bands. And this is maybe as close as you're going to get to like an intimate look at Gibbons himself. And he opens up about more than just his music. So I appreciated that. It's, it's, it's an off-the-wall car book. But uh, it's definitely worth picking up if you, if you want to find out more about ZZ Top than you're going to find out on Wikipedia. Okay. So did you learn anything that you – or did you read anything that you like – didn't know of already. And first of all, how much did you know about ZZ Top before? I, I've been what? a big fan of the band for yeah. a long time, and I certainly did learn a lot. Like, there's cool. I wouldn't call myself a super fan. I have seen them perform live, but it's it's definitely full of background stuff. And he really gives you the impression that you're kind of getting a, a behind the scenes tour of his life, and that life just happens to include cars and guitars as much as it does the band. Very cool. Um, and is it? Easily find? Can I find this book easily? Like uh... you can find it on anywhere online. I think you can find it on the Motorbooks website. I don't have the exact price with me right now. I want to say okay. it's in the fifty to sixty dollar range uh, because it's, it is one of those coffee table books. It comes it's in its big, own, right? It, yeah, it comes in its own slip cover. It is big. Um, it's presented nicely, and it, it, you know, I, I it sometimes these books can really feel like vanity projects for an artist, and yeah. this one comes across as way more genuine. So what was your favorite car that he had that they like featured in the book? Honestly, I think the E30 just cuz it's so weird. But which, weird, which one? Which model is it? It's like a 325, but the weird thing is it has an automatic transmission and there's like a, a, 
a prominent photo of the automatic transmission. <laughs> but uh, a good, a close friend of mine growing up had an automatic E33 325, and we spent so much time in it. So I. I, I like the uh, the memory for me. He has, does have a lot of cool cars. He has a 51 Willys Wagon, which is something you you really don't see very often. He has a crazy pinstriped El Camino. Um, and he's got a bunch of Cadillac two-doors that have all been lowered and whatnot. And that, that's kind of my uh, – that's kind of right up my, my alley. The, the, the nice. 325 also, I forgot to mention, it's a convertible with a kind of like a, a, a removable hardtop. But I don't think it's the BMW hardtop. And the funny thing is that automatic shifter has an eight ball shifter on it. <laughs> so it's not like the stock BMW T shifter. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. That's so weird. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, it's it's cool to see that even an automatic convertible can, that, that he has can still be customized by him. It has its own, it has its own flair. Like none of his cars were, were given just a stock treatment, I guess. No. And some of them like they're, they're really of their era in terms of how they were customized. Like these were really customized. They went all out and you might not like it, but uh, it's, it's definitely different. Does he use the same, does it mention the shops or, or oh, yeah, it mentions, all the people who, it mentions all the people who built his cars. It, it talks about the background, why he chose it, why so in some cases it was a car that he had found or he had wanted for a long time. In Whoa. other cases, it was a car that was brought to him by a shop because the shop knew that, hey, maybe you could do something with this. So it, it's, again, the, the fairly full story on most of these vehicles. Nice. Um, I was going to ask if like it's the same people that work on his car all the time, if he has like a like a... A dedicated crew, or if it's not that I'm aware of it, it's really yeah. just you know over time shops come and go, so you kind of have to. Very nice. That. I love that, and I think that it's important. I mean, pop culture, the the intersection of pop culture and the uh, and the automobile is important. I think it used to be far more important than it is now. I don't know if uh, if celebrities are. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Oops. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? As excited or enthusiastic about, you know, showing off the cars they're in? I think um, that, you know, uh, it, I mean, back then, yes, consumerism and conspicuous consumption were important. I want, and when I say back then, I'm referring to like early 80s heyday of yeah. ZZ Top when they were kind of like one of the first bands to get a lot of MTV attention. But uh, I think today that still happens and it's it's kind of moved into a luxury realm where people, they just want to be seen with the latest luxury car. It's a, it's, it's a success-driven image. I think there are probably still celebrities who are really into cars. It's just that there's so much out there in celebrity culture now that there's no real overriding narrative. Like that you can get as deep as you want um, on Paul Walker's car collection, for example. And you can, yeah, uh, I know that in the past you've talked to me about, a, you're a big fan of uh, Lady Gaga. Yeah. And uh, she has a surprising car collection. <laughs> a, a wicked car collection. Yeah, including some like very basic work trucks that you wouldn't think a celebrity would be driving. But um, it's, it's, you'd, you'd have to dig for that information. You know, it's not like she's talking about it in interviews kind of deal. Right. Or like posing with them or, or showing up. You know what? There was like a, a moment and maybe it's still happening, but like several celebrities want to use their platform uh, for, for making perhaps making some change or making the world a better place or whatever they want to say in pushing forward some sort of agenda. And that's why we've seen a lot of Teslas and electric vehicles um, being driven with them as well. And I'm not sure if that's the same as seeing Lady Gaga show up in her SVT Lightning or something, which is uh, which is pretty cool. And it's a first-gen SVT Lightning, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like the non-supercharged. Yeah. Like the 5.8 liter, yeah. 
Um, so that's awesome. I, I think it's really cool to still talk about those those connections between celebrities or whatever, you, however you want to call them, um, and the automobile. I think it needs to, it's changed a lot over the years, and I don't think it's as um, as it's not as frequent as we see people kind of bragging and showing off their vehicles <laughs> that they used to. Would be a min- and maybe it's just me. I don't see as many like um, music videos, for example, or others or like paparazzi. I don't read whatever the, the paparazzi, the, the tabloids are anymore. <laughs> uh, so I'm not paying attention, but I think that's uh, it's an important thing that, that we've seen change over the years. So if you want to pay attention to something that's not paparazzi, but is actually podcasts, the, and, and specifically our podcast, the best mm-hmm. way you can do that is to go to www.unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, where we have links to every podcast client that supports us. It, it's pretty much everything. I mean, Apple, Google, YouTube, music's coming online. We have Spotify, mm-hmm. CastBox. Uh, you, whatever your favorite is, you can find us there. You can also find past episodes. You can find links to uh, articles that we've written that support some of the things we say on the the episodes. Mm-hmm. It's not just opinions. Sometimes it's written opinions. And um, if you wanted to uh, get in touch with us, uh, Sammy, you can do that on the on the unnamedautomotivepodcast.com website. There's a form that fills out and emails to us. But are there other ways people can get in touch? Absolutely. They can reach out to us on social media. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Uh, and Ben, you're on Twitter too. You're at Hunting no, Benjamin. you got to but... stop mentioning Twitter. I am on Instagram <laughs> and you can find <laughs> me on Instagram. But at Hunting Benjamin as well. Yes. yes and you can correct. also send uh, us an email the old-fashioned way. It's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. So Sammy, uh, when you're not outing me on Twitter, uh, <laughs> what are you going to be driving next week? I'm driving the new Cadillac next week. It's the CT5V, which is important to bring up because it's not the Black Wing, which is the – I can't remember what week talked about with the v and the black wing and all i can't remember either it's just a it's just a whirlwind of wings <laughs> right so i'm i'm talking about that next week what about you i'm i'm going to be talking about the subaru brz ts Ooh, i'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that and i think we might be in the final model year for this generation car too so that's something we we might want to talk about a bit a proper unnamed automotive podcast send-off you think well that's usually involves a lot of fire so maybe <laughs> maybe not this time <laughs> okay so you'll want to catch up on that dear uh listener We can't wait to hear from you next week. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.